Well, Jesus said, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So uh, this is the love of God. Uh, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for your sins so that you could experience the forgiveness of your sins, so you could know God personally and experience heaven on earth and experience heaven after earth. So that's the will of God. God wants you to be free of guilt and shame and the burden of sin. And God wants you to be cleansed from all that filth. And he wants you to know his mercy and his unfailing love. That's why church is going on. Uh, You know, one of our core values at Thorn Creek Church is love. The other two are relationships and transformation. And you see them on our front windshield, or windshield, our front window in the lobby. You see those love, relationships, and transformation. Love is one of our values. And here, over the last week, guys, we have been loving on people who need a meal. And it's been amazing, guys. I want to show you some pictures. Uh, it's called our Feed 5000 event, and we partner with Food for Hope. And we just love in the communities. And in fact, we have uh, fed probably close to six to 7,000 people, and we're not done yet. But people have come together. I love that picture right there, incidentally, of, of, uh, of our youth, our teens. Yeah, well, right under our vision statement to transform self-sufficient people into Christ-driven people. I love that picture right there, and I appreciate them. And I do love Nikki as well, vacuuming with her with her baby, uh, Walker. Uh, you know, uh, this whole event could not happen without volunteers. And uh, these are people who took time off of work. They took vacation time to do this, or maybe maybe they uh, they uh, just you know worked all day and then they volunteered in the evening to do it. Maybe they were retired, whatever it was. They sacrificed their hours. All of them are busy, and they sacrificed their hours to love on people, helping other people out. So I just want to say thank you to all of you who have served, who have volunteered, who've loved on people. Thank you so much. Thank you for those of you who have given as well. Uh, You know, Jesus said that the greatest among you will be the servant. And that's who the great ones are, those who serve. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thorn Creek just could not do anything without you. We love others in the name of Jesus. Uh, We're not done. We have one more stop, and it happens at the Renaissance Apartment Complex. So make sure you are there. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to meet at 2 p.m., and uh, we're going to distribute meals, and we're going to pray for people, and we're going to just love on them. Um, Here's where you need to park. I want to give you a little map here. So this is uh, Grant and 88th Street, and you want to park across the street from the Renaissance at the bowling alley. That's where you want to park, and you want to you want to park on one side of that bowling alley. I believe it's the east side of that bowling alley. And then you're going to walk across the crosswalk, and uh, then you're going to walk to the Renaissance and uh, right across the street there, and we're going to meet at the basketball hoops. That's where we're going to meet, and meet at the basketball hoops at 2 p.m. What, what time, church? What time are we meeting? 
at the basketball hoops, not parking at 2 p.m., but meeting at the basketball hoops at 2 p.m. And that's where we're gonna, you're going to get instructions on what to do, and we're all going to tackle different buildings, and we're going to go and knock on doors, and we're going to pray for people at their, at their door, and we're going to love on them and, and just, uh, just wish them a happy Thanksgiving. So uh, we have 180 units that we need to visit, 180. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We need a lot of hands, and uh, make sure you are part of it. Be be a servant. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Um, Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I know it's new every morning, and I want to thank you for the good people that you have drawn to this church, Lord. Uh, Thank you, God. Thank you for those who are watching online. Would you speak to every soul? And may we all have an encounter with your word. Would you speak to the deepest places of our heart where our pain and hurt and worry exists? Would you speak there, God? Would you change us, transform us, God, into your will and your purpose? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen, amen. Thanks for being here. Welcome to those of you who are online. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited about this message. Uh, We've been going through this series, and we started off with Balaam and his talking donkey, and we've been looking at the the less familiar, the less well-known people in Scripture. That's what we've been doing. We looked at Mordecai, and uh, that was a lot of fun with Esther. And Korah, that's when the earth opened up and swallowed the people who, who were in disagreement with Moses. And, um, and then we have Joab, who was an incredible commander, a right, you know, David's right-hand guy. And then we had Deborah, incredible woman of God. And now we're talking about Boaz. I so wanted to post online, get your Boaz to church this weekend. I just wanted to see that. Get your Boaz to church this weekend. Because Boaz you know, is an amazing, amazing dude. Amazing guy. In fact, Boaz would have loved Feed 5,000. Boaz would have served every night for Feed 5,000. He would have gotten time off of work. He would have bought a whole bunch of turkeys. He would have loved Feed 5,000 because when you look at the story of Boaz, that's who he is. And here's what I want you to hear. God wants to give you a Boaz heart. Turn to the person next to you. Just tell them that. Can you do that? God wants to give you a Boaz heart. Type that in the chat. God wants to give you a Boaz heart. His heart was full of compassion, and it was full of love, and it was righteous, and he feared God, and this is a guy who, who looked out for the one that everybody else overlooked. You ever feel like you're the one that nobody pays attention to, or you're the one that's the outcast, or you're the one that uh, everybody else kind of you know, picks last or whatever? Um, that Boaz would have picked you. Boaz, is, that's who he is. And uh, you'll never be happier. You'll never find greater purpose. You'll never have better relationships when, until you let Jesus take over your life, until you let Jesus have his way in your heart. And uh, giving you a Boaz heart, that's part of the will of God. We find his story in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is found right after Judges. That's where it's found. And, and it's there, it's before there were any kings in Israel. And, and, and the book of Ruth actually starts off with a pretty sad story. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine, say famine with me, severe famine, came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. Say Moab with me. It's it's, uh, not Moab, Utah. It's another Moab. Taking his wife and two sons with him. So the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. 
All right, famous gal. They have two sons. They live in Bethlehem, and a severe famine drives them out of their home, and they move to this place called Moab, and it was a famine that did that. Sometimes we think famines are bad things. We think problems are bad things, but God uses everything for his purpose. And Moabites, uh, they, they moved to this place called Moab. Moab is super significant because Moab, um, the people who lived there, the Moabites, um, were not allowed to be part of the congregation of Israel. It's kind of like they were not allowed to go to church with the Hebrews, the Moabites, uh, they, were, they worshipped another god. They were pagan people. They worshipped another god named Kamash. And there was ch- child sacrifice involved with this, with this god. They were outsiders. And you hear, see Naomi moved to the other side of the tracks. And she goes live, lives in Moab. And she's there for about 10 years. And during those 10 years, it was horrible. You ever had a bad 10 years of luck, so to speak? (laughs) Over a period of 10 years, her husband dies. Her two sons, they marry Moabite women, not Hebrew women, Moabite women. And then eventually her two sons die and Naomi is left with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. It's like souvenirs she picked up along the way. She didn't want them. And Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem because she hears things are going better and the famine is done. So she thinks, I better go ahead and go back. And she tells her two Moabite daughter-in-laws, you can go home now. And there was one daughter-in-law that said, no, 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 no. Where you go, I'll go. Where, you, where, where, where your God's going to be my God and I'm going to worship you and I'm going to cling to you. Her name is Ruth. So Ruth is a Moabite, and she holds on to Naomi, the Hebrew mother-in-law. And, so, and she says, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, my new life is with you. So really, Ruth leaves her Moabite family, and Ruth, the Moabite, go with Naomi, the Hebrew mom, and they go back to Bethlehem, and they go back to start all over. Verse 22 says this, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. You know, God's timing is perfect. You know that you're at church right now, because God wants you to be at church. You're watching online because God wants you to watch online. His timing is perfect. He's never late. His will is always on time. Everything about your life, if you are walking with God and trusting with God, you can have a peace that God is taking care of all the circumstances in your life and his timing is perfect. Why hasn't he answered that prayer? Because it's according to his time. Everything is about God's timing, and God, God honors time. You see this throughout Scripture. God honors time. In fact, the waiting is just as important as the answer. The timing of the prayer is just as important as the waiting, the timing of the prayer. The Scripture says that the barley harvest was about to start. The barley harvest was a big deal. We don't really, we don't have three festivals like the Hebrew people did, but the barley harvest was one of the more important festivals involving cereal grains, and, and it, was, it was grown by the Hebrews who used, uh, used it for baking bread. In fact, when Jesus, when he performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000, 
He, he had five barley loaves of bread. So barley was something that was very common. It was especially used by the poor people. And in fact, they used it to feed their horses also. But barley was very well known. And this is a time of new growth. The barley harvest took place in Palestine in March and April. Now, there's another pretty incredible Christian holiday in March and April. There's, all of this is about new life, coming from the dirt, coming from the ground, coming from a dark place. Yeah, I'm talking about Easter. Um, Naomi, she's been through a tough season. You ever been through a tough season? Her husband and her two sons are dead. Both of them are gone. She feels alone. She's a foreigner. She feels like she took a wrong turn. She feels like God's not hearing her. God's not answering her prayers. God doesn't care about her. She feels like, you know what? She just feels angry. In fact, when you look at the early chapter there in the book of Ruth, it says that she wants to change her name to bitter. She's so upset. She's so angry. She wants to change her name to bitter. And she doesn't want anyone to call her Naomi. She, that's where she's at right here. And she sh shows up and it's the beginning of this harvest season. And she has no idea that God is about to do something new. You know, sometimes we can be oblivious to what God is doing. Sometimes God could be doing something right under our nose and we don't even see it. We don't recognize it. But God, he doesn't move according to whether you feel him or not. He just moves according to his will. And many times God is answering prayers and we don't even realize God is answering prayers just because it's not being answered the way we think it should be answered. Just because it's not being solved the way we think it should be solved. God is so big and glorious and wise. He can do anything he wants. I want you to hear this. God wants to bring you into a new season. Some of you need to hear that. God wants to bring you into a new season season. It's a different season. There's going to be new growth and new life and new hope. And God wants to do something. New seasons don't always mean new locations. Sometimes it just means a new heart. Sometimes it means a new perspective. You know, you could have a new joy with the same clothes on that you were the day before. You know what I'm talking about? God wants to bring you into a new season. Are you ready for it? Naomi was not ready for it. She moved back home and she did not realize God is doing something new. And we can be guilty of the same thing. Let's flip the page, guys, and look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named, there he is, shout it out, Boaz, get your Boaz to church, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. I just came to meet tonight, guys. That's not even in my notes. I don't know why I keep saying that. Uh, Boaz, an influential man, a man of standing. If you want to be like Boaz, you got to leave a trail of your character. He was an influential man. Oh, man, listen up. Ladies, listen up. People see character through actions. We have enough people that just talk. You know what I'm talking about? We have enough people that just kind of, kind of give you their opinion from their armchair or post about it and what they think, you know. But we need people who have action behind their faith. This world needs to see action behind lip service. 
We need to see action. James talks about this. He said, you see that that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not faith alone. See, we, we don't need people to just give advice. We need people to help out. It's always encouraging to me when you look at you know, our Feed 5000 event, it's super encouraging when you have that one person show up and say, I'll help out with the trash. I'll help carry that box. I'll help, I'll help with that truck. I'll help vacuum the carpet. I'll help whatever it is. That's super encouraging. And they're way more encouraging than the person who looks at me from a distance and says, you're doing really great. God bless you. I t- I'm way more encouraged by the 10-year-old that comes and helps and says, I'll help lift the weight. And we need to be people of action. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Wouldn't you prefer action over lip service? Somebody says, I love you. You say, that's great. Now, let's sh- show me. Prove it. Do something. Say, we need to see action. Men, when you work, when your boss says you're doing a great job, it feels good. But you're saying, show me the money too. I want, to, I want to know I'm doing good. Give me some new responsibilities or something. Show me that I'm, show me. We, we need action. Desperately need action. It's not enough to just talk about your faith. Your faith has to have action to it. Your faith needs to be seen. And your actions prove your character. You are leaving a trail of your character everywhere you go. See, people know whether you can be counted on just by your actions. People know whether your yes is yes or your no is no just by your actions. Because they're watching you and they're saying, are you a person of your word? Do you actually do what you say you're going to do? Are you known by your actions? What kind of trail are you leaving behind? Verse 2. One day, Ruth, the Moabite, <clears throat> interesting, every time when you see Ruth in here, she, over and over you see her referred to as the Moabite. And that's such a derogatory term for Hebrews. And, and, and she's, again, just in case you're not aware who she is, it's Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. This means they're poor. They're looking for scraps, free scraps. They're looking in trash cans, so to speak. Naomi says, all right, my daughter, look, she's coming a long way. My daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, say as it happened with me. Can you do that? As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of their father-in-law, Elimelech. This phrase, as it happened, is so beautiful. Uh, Another version says, as it turned out. The literal interpretation of as it happened, you know what it is? By chance. By chance. She found herself at this field with this man named Boaz, who was influential, he was a God-fearing man, he was wealthy, and he was the one over the entire field. As it happened, by chance. See, we, 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 we uh, tend in our world, we look at 
things that happen and we say something like, well, I was just lucky. It was by luck that I happened to be there to catch that foul ball or whatever. Or it was by luck I happened to be. And it was just good karma. It was just good karma. And I want you to know, in the kingdom of God, you have, as it happened, by chance, moments repeated over and over and over again. You hear what I'm saying? When God wants to get a hold of a heart, there's by chance moments. By chance, you're at church right now listening to this message. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, outside in the front and I was greeting people. I was out, actually outside under our welcome tent. And there was a, someone, well, I'm so glad we're between a liquor store and Ace Hardware. I'm just so glad about that because there's all kinds of traffic there. So I was out there and there was this gal that she didn't know who I was and I was just out there by the table and I was saying hello to strangers and she grabs the door of Ace Hardware and she actually pulls it open and she looks at me and she says, hey, what time are your services? And I said, oh, there's one that's about to start like in 10 minutes. And she said, oh, all right, I, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll keep you in mind. I'll keep you in mind. Okay, okay. And, she, and then she goes inside Ace Hardware. And I'm in that service, the very next service, and I'm in my normal spot, you know, stage left, worshiping God, having my own private time. And I look out in the middle of the crowd, and there she is standing in the middle of the crowd singing songs to God. As it happened, by chance, you know, we have a speaker outdoors. You know why we have a speaker out there? It's literally playing right now. They could hear us outside. If you're walking by right now, I want you to know God loves you and God wants you to come to church. They heard that right there. By chance. Haven't you had by chance moments? You know what I'm talking about? Like, wow, God has given me a word right now. I didn't expect this. But I'm having church right now at 7-Eleven. Or I didn't expect this, but I'm hearing that song at this convenience store. I didn't expect this, but God is speaking to me in this park. Or I didn't expect this, and God is talking to me at work or at school or wherever. You know, by chance, there is this divine rendezvous that happens. And God gives you a word, and you didn't expect it. By chance, anybody experienced that? You know what I'm talking about? Put your hands together. If you've experienced by chance moments where God meets you, you should share those by chance moments. And by chance, Ruth goes out and she looks for a place to work and she's working at this field that belongs to Boaz. Boaz. The name Boaz means this, strength is within him. Isn't that good? Strength is within him. In fact, when you look at 1 Kings chapter 7, you read about, uh, you read about uh, Solomon's temple. And there's two temples. You can actually look this up in archaeology and you can see it. There's two, there, I said temples, there's two pillars and they're bronze pillars. These are not load-bearing pillars, not like load-bearing, you know, you know, studs in your home or anything like that. They're, they're not load-bearing. But one of the pillars' name is Boaz. And it's symbolic of Israel's dependence on God's strength and presence. Isn't that cool? It's symbolic of Israel's dependence on God's strength and presence. And I thought, you know, you know what? Think about living your life in such a way 
that they put your name on a pillar that reflects your character. This was in memory of Boaz, who leaned on God for his strength and his presence. I mean, think about that. That's quite a heritage, isn't it? I mean, what would, I mean, what would, where would your name be on? What would it be on? And what, what are you known for? What's the trail you're leaving? If people looked at you and said, oh, that's, that, this is who you are, what would they say? So let's go into this, guys. We're going to jump into verse 4, but let me just say this, because this is the part of the message. Um, I'm going to just say I, I, there's a part of me that wanted to name this message like some cheesy romance movie right here. I mean, this, now we're going to get into the relationship between Boaz and this gal named Ruth. So before the notebook, you know, there was the harvest. I'm just going to tell you, there's the fault in our sheets, all right? Let's let you follow me to all the boys. Watch and learn. Uh, let me give you some, I'm going to help you out here. You came to church, and if you're single, and you're fishing, and you're trolling, you know who you are. Let me just, uh, you like long walks along the beach, and you're available, and you know what I mean? Uh, let me give you some, some I'm going to help you out. You're going to be so glad you came to church. You're so glad you're watching online. Here, here's some stats. 30% of U.S. adults have at some point used a dating app or website. Almost one, one out of three. Just know that. 12% say they found a long-term relationship via online dating. This is really good. Check this one out. Approximately one-third of the photographs online dating apps are not accurate. <laughs> so you meet the guy, and you're like, where's the other guy <laughs> or the gal? And you're like, oh, my goodness. you got to be careful what you say. And look, at it just takes four minutes to see if you click with someone. Four minutes, so you should be aware of that. After four minutes, if it's not clicking, you should say, I gotta go. You know, you can, you can say, my mama's calling me, or, or my friend is calling me, or have your friend call you at, at four and a half. That would be a good time. 28 is the average age people meet their spouse, and 70% of Americans have kissed on the first date. Hello. Hello, 70%. Don't let them open that Christmas present so quickly. The average number of relationships before marriage for men is six and five for women. That's what it is, five or six. So I'm going to give you some dating tips. See, if you really want to know dating tips, I'm just going to tell you right now, you just got to read, your, read the Bible. You just got to know scripture, and you can see what a real man, what a real woman looks like, and you just got to be familiar with it. Um, verse 4, here it is. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, and what does he say? The Lord be with you. You know what that says? This is a man of God. This is a guy who says, God bless you. This is a guy who says, you know, Lord be with you. And then they say, the Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. You know what that tells me? The harvesters know this is a man of faith. They know their boss is a man of faith. Now, now they also know, they also know that he lives it out. He's a man of influence. Worst thing you can do is tell someone you're a Christian and you don't live it out. Worst thing you can do is talk about your faith and you have no action behind your faith. He lives it out. He says, the Lord be with you. Verse five, he says, then Boaz asked his foreman, who's that young woman over there and who does she belong to? Now, ladies, you have to see this here. 
Boaz was observant. You know what I'm saying? I'm guessing she didn't, you know, she was probably smelly. That's what I'm guessing. She was sweating. She was working hard. She probably just didn't get back from some facial thing or something like that or some beauty thing. I'm guessing she had maybe this sack or something that she was working in the fields on, and he noticed her. A modern-day Boaz will notice your inner beauty. A modern-day Boaz will see what's inside of you. Do you hear that, ladies? You gotta, don't settle now. A modern-day Boaz will cherish your inner beauty, and he appreciates these qualities. Listen to this. A modern-day Boaz will study you. He'll watch you. Let him watch you. Don't let him catch you too quickly. He'll find out what makes you tick and seek to understand you more fully over time. And he will notice what you enjoy and do little things from time to time just to make you smile. That's a modern-day Boaz. Boaz eventually walks over and talks to Ruth. Now here he's about to make a move. Boaz, verse 8, Boaz went over and, and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when, you're, when, when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right here. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting then, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Well, you see this, a modern day Boaz is kind. It's just kind. She's a stranger. Um, something that struck me in this passage related to Boaz were, were the, the non-Boazers in the camp. It says that he had to, he, he, he warned the young men not to treat her roughly. So on, on his own field, in his own company, there were those who had maybe a Boaz heart, and there were those who did not have a Boaz heart. There were those who were not kind. There were those who maybe did not love God. There were those maybe who did not live a life of truth. There were those who lied. There were those who lived and, and, and maybe they worshiped other gods. But it reminds me like this is real life. You have those who have hearts like Boaz and you have those who, who don't give a rip about God or living a life of truth and they have no problems lying and they have no problems doing all these other things. And you see that. You see it in churches you see it in companies, you see it in schools, you see it in friend groups, you see it on teams, you see it everywhere. So, so what's the difference with someone who has a heart like Boaz and someone that doesn't? I mean, Boaz went, goes up to this woman and, and, and she's a Moabite and he's, he says, you know what, uh, feel free to stay here and just work along with these other ladies. And I already told all the other guys who were, you know, who just talk smack. I already told them, you leave, you leave her alone. So you're, you're safe. See, in a modern day Boaz is a protector. He's a protector. He wants to make sure that nothing, no harm will come her way. That's a modern day Boaz. As I thought about the difference between this one who is like Boaz and then the other ones who are not. The thing that came to my mind was this idea of like one is 
centered on themselves and one is centered on God. Put it this way, it's self-centeredness. Self-centeredness can be defined as an in a moderate concern with one's own interest and well-being, self, love, or egotism. See, some, some people are just self-centered. Are you self-centered? Like, it's just, it's, it's about you. Like, do you love yourself more than anyone else? Do you love yourself more than others? Maybe, do you love yourself even more than God? When you love yourself, it's all about you. It's about your opinions. What you say, what you think is what's most important. It's about your preferences. It's about your likes. It's about your comfort. It's about your desires. It's all about you. That's self-centeredness. It's all about you. And these guys, that's where they were at. James says it like this, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, that's self-centeredness, there you you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Philippians, Paul says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So if you want to be like Boaz, don't be selfish. Self-centeredness is a sin because it leads to being devoted to self-gratification and overlooking other people's needs. And people who are self-centered aren't able to please God. They're focused on themselves. They're not focused on God. Go back to the story in Ruth chapter 2. Check it out. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel... There he is again. He's a man of faith. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. You know what this tells me about Boaz? He's a man of faith, but he also respects obedience to God. He respects sacrifice. And when he sees someone like Ruth sacrifice and, and the sacrifices she made to go on with Naomi, and she, he knows the story. Somewhere along the streets, someone's been talking, and he heard about it. And he honors and recognizes, he sees the value. He sees the value of that kind of woman. And I want you to hear this. If you want to be like Boaz, you got to love the Moabite. You got to love the Moabite. I think all of us have a little Moabite in us. We probably have a lot of Moabite in us. Moabites, descendants from Moab, they're the, they come from the son of Lot. Remember Abraham and Lot? They come from the son of Lot. Listen to this. They're born of an incestuous relationship with an older daughter. So have you ever looked at someone and says, well, you, you know, you're, you're a bad apple and you come from a bad apple and you come from a bad tree? That kind of thing. That's a Moabite. 
But people who love like Boaz, they love the bad apple. They don't care about the bad tree. They just love. Truth is, we all need the grace of God, don't we? We can all look at our lives and say, yeah, I've got an Uncle Guido in my, in my family tree too. And I'm really sorry about all the things he did, but don't take it out on me. <laughs> you know, we all have history, but a, a, a Boaz just loves the Moabite, the outsider, the one who everyone else looks down on. And, and that's, just, that's just who he is. Doesn't matter what the skin color is or the background or the history or the reputation. He just loves them. Well, now you see Naomi come into play here. Naomi, you know, she's advanced in years. We don't really know her age, but the woman still has some, some skills here because in Ruth chapter three, verse one, she plays like, like e-harmony or something. She's the matchmaker. So she says, one day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Tonight's going to be a good night. <laughs> Verse 3, now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Did you see that? Take a bath. And put on perfume. See, like Naomi knows there's nothing worse than a lazy man and a smelly woman. She just knows that. And she's like, okay, but I'm, yeah, you could edit that out if that went over too far. Um, and verse three, now do as I tell you, take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nice clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't tell Boaz. See you until he is finished. Don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Notice Naomi, even the timing of this. I want you to look a certain way, but there's a time that I want you to, you know, showcase. I want you to just wait it out. Verse four, be sure to notice where he lies down. So it's time for her to study him. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Tells you a little bit about Ruth. She is willing to follow the advice of the mother-in-law. She recognizes what mom is saying. There's wisdom there. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now that's symbolic in the Hebrew culture. That's symbolic. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up. It's funny, it's around midnight. Maybe his feet got cold or something. I don't know. But he wakes up around midnight and he turns over and he was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Like, where did she come from? Man, are you with me? Is this a good dream or what? <laughs> he, he looks, and there she is. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. She's saying, I'm available, and I'd like to be your wife. That's what she's saying. I'd like you to cover me. 
Protect me, watch over me, take me on as your wife. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. So Boaz is an older dude. This tells me something too. Young men sometimes don't have the characteristics fully developed. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they're a work in progress, and, and you, know, you should see them in 10 years. But when they're young, they're still developing. It takes time to become a Boaz. It takes time to become a Boaz. Um, then he says, now don't worry about a, th- about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. There's her, that, there's her character. She's leaving a trail. She's a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing to then, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. I want you to recognize something. Boaz, this is a guy who understands the rules. He's a guy who understands the process. He understands what's right and what's wrong. And he cares about her reputation. He cares about her character. That's a good Boaz. A good Boaz cares about the reputation of the woman. He cares about her character. He cares about her spiritual life. He wants it. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Don't you want a Boaz to care about your soul, care about your spiritual life, care about you? And if you want to be like Boaz, you got to honor God in the dark. You got to honor God in the dark. 12 o'clock midnight, Boaz looks down and he sees this beautiful woman who incidentally smells really good. And she uncovers his feet. Are you there with me? Just, you know what I mean? Are you there? And you know what he does? He doesn't take advantage of her. She doesn't have a man to protect her. Her father's not around. Her family's not around. They're, they're, you know, miles and miles and miles and miles and miles away. He could have totally taken advantage of her vulnerability But a Boaz looks at that and says, I'm going to care for you. I'm not going to take advantage of your emotional state, of your mental state, of your poverty. I'm not going to take advantage of your desperation. That's a Boaz. A Boaz says, I want to honor you. I want to honor you right now. And we're going to do this the right way. And then he even says, okay, you need to go ahead and leave because if you, if, you, if you don't leave early enough, you know, people will talk. People will talk. It's really interesting. The first times we went to the Renaissance and we started loving on people and the, when we would go and do a full-on worship service over there and we would get there, you know, the worship team, uh, I don't know what day it was, but we would get there as early as seven o'clock in the morning or something like that. And it's really interesting at seven o'clock in the morning, seeing how many guys come out of apartments 
dressing themselves, going to the bus stop, saying, and they're not going to work. They're coming from something. You know what I'm talking about? They just did something. They were just with someone, and they're leaving, and I see them, and I'm like, hey, guys, you can stick around for church, man. <laughs> like, no, we got to go, man. We got to go. That's what they do. And I think about that, and, and Boaz is concerned about Ruth and her reputation, and he says, look, I know, I know everything you've done, and you, you, you've lived this life of integrity, and I'm going to take care of you. Verse 9 says this, Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You were witnesses that today I bought from Naomi all the poverty, all the property of Emelet, Killian, and Malon, and the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in the hometown. You were all witnesses today. So he speaks before the elders and they, they give him approval. And verse 13, verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord enabled her to become pregnant. Now, this is so big, guys. This is a way bigger plan. It's like God has been watching Ruth this whole time. Maybe when Ruth was living in Moab, maybe during that time, she was crying out to the Hebrew God. Why did she want to leave her home and leave all those pagan gods and leave? You know, she knew she had a messed up home. And why did she say, I'd rather leave my messed up home and go with this bitter woman all the way back to Bethlehem? Why did she do that? There was something in her. It reminds me of something. See, you can live a righteous life in an unrighteous home. You can be a righteous person in an unrighteous company. You can be a righteous person in whatever unrighteous place you find yourself. And God saw all that. And God said, all right, Ruth, I'm going to be with you. And it leads all the way to, you know, she goes and she talks to Naomi and she goes out and she finds this field and she's picking up stuff. And, and then it happens to be Boaz as it happened. It happened to be Boaz. And then, and then it just continues to be with him. And then, and then it's time for her to find a man. And then it just so happens at midnight, he says, okay, I'll take you. And, and then they get married as it happened by chance. And then all of a sudden, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. The son's name is Obed, O-B-E-D, Obed. See, Boaz becomes a picture of Jesus Christ. Boaz can be seen as a reflection of our Redeemer. We were outsiders, sinners, impoverished, forsaken, struggling to make it. And the Lord showed us compassion and gentleness and generosity and he lifted us out of spiritual poverty he provided for our eternal needs and gave us a forever home boaz redeems ruth and jesus redeems us that's what he's done for us and when you look at the new testament the first book of the new testament matthew first gospel chapter one gives the genealogy of jesus christ and right there in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it says, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz. There he is, whose mother was Rahab. Think about that, Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. 
Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Isn't that beautiful? So you see Boaz and Ruth, and you see where Boaz came from. You see Rahab's name in there, and you see this, and you see all the circumstances around this, and and you see, look how beautiful God is. Look how intentional, how purposeful. It's not by accident that you're here. It's not by chance. And you see this story in Matthew chapter 1, you see this Moabite woman right in the middle of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You have a prostitute in there, you have a Moabite in there, and she becomes the great-grandmother of a famous king, David, the man after God's own heart. That's who Boaz is. That's who Boaz is. I don't know where you're at right now, but I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe, maybe God's stirring your heart. And I want to encourage you to just get right with the Lord. The best time to get right with the Lord is right now. The best time. Don't wait on anything. Get right with the Lord right now. I want to lead you in prayer. Maybe you need to ask Jesus Christ into your heart, and that's the first step. And I want to help you with that. And uh, let God do what he wants. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. And uh, if you're ready to ask Jesus into your heart, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Change my heart. Give me a new life. I, I recognize this is, this is uh, not by chance here that I'm, I'm, I'm having this moment. So, as best as I know how, I turn to you with all of my heart. And put your Holy Spirit inside of me to teach me right from wrong. Others of you, maybe you need to say this, God, I need you to change my heart. I, I want to be more like, more like uh, the heart of Boaz and the character of Boaz. I want my character to be known for love and kindness and righteousness. Or maybe you need to say this, God, help me to become a man of action, a woman of action. Help me to be that person. Thank you, God, for your grace and your love, and thank you for your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.